Second Peter, if you would, in your Bible. Second Peter chapter three. We'll actually be looking at the last two verses in this book. And this is actually the 14th week now that we've been in Second Peter, finally coming and drawing it to a close. And praise the Lord, next week, the plan is that Pastor Jeff will be back behind the pulpit exactly five months since the accident. So praise the Lord. We're going to cheer next week a lot. We can clap for him right now, but you're just going to make him cry even more. We'll say more next week, just rejoicing in what God has done. I grew up in the middle of Kansas. If you know anything about Kansas, it's not like Idaho. We have one mountain we call Mount Sunflower, and we call it that because it's the highest elevation on the Colorado-Kansas state line, and it's literally a small rock in the middle of a flat cow field. That's Mount Sunflower. I love Kansas, so if you look at a map of Kansas, Wichita is kind of right in the south-central part. You can zoom in, and I grew up just north of there in a small town, smallish town. We had a super Walmart. We were a big town of Newton. And you drive just north of Newton another half hour and you come to an even smaller town, only about 2,000 people. That's the town of Hillsboro. That's where my mom grew up. There's a college there that both my parents went to. There's a lot of family roots, a lot of family history there. You go about six miles south of town, take a left, we don't do lefts and rights. We always say east-west. We use those cardinal directions since everything, and I mean everything, is a grid in Kansas. And you go uh, west two miles on a dirt road, and there's a church. There's a church set there that has been there for, and it's actually one of the first churches of that denomination. It's a Mennonite Brethren Church. That's some of my background in history. And I've had five generations now of people in my family, my sister was the last one a year ago, that have been married in that church. And behind that church, as many churches that era are, what is there? A cemetery, exactly. And in the cemetery, there, you know, it's grass, it's flat, just like the rest, but it's carved out of a little section of land that, of course, is surrounded by farmland. My grandfather, I spent many summers with, many years, loved him greatly, and my grandmother just lived two miles from that church, and that's where my parents are now, on a farm, 200 acres right there. My grandpa farmed wheat, soybeans, milo, that type of thing there. You go behind the church, and there's a gravestone there, and what's under that gravestone? Well, that's where my grandmother, granny, as we would call her, and grandpa, Lorenz, are buried. Granny passed away it's probably been 15 years now. She was 10, 10 years younger than my grandfather. They got married a little bit later in life. But they showed Christ-like love to one another. They showed me hard work, as any farmer would have to, if you're going to survive and be a farmer. They showed me many things as I lived with them during the summers, and I learned a lot, even spiritual truths from them. But back behind that church in the dirt, there is the body of Granny, and now, as of this past year, it hasn't been even a year yet, the body of my grandfather as well, who just died a few months ago, as some of you may have recalled. And Grandpa always said he was going to live to be 100, and he kept his promise. He was, Elias, our oldest, was actually born on the same day, birthday, so they shared birthdays. He was born on Grandpa Lorenz's 95th birthday, and he made it five, five years into Elias' life and then passed away this past year. 
But you go out there, and I haven't, I haven't been there since he's, his body has been buried there. But, of course, there's what's on, the, what's on the tombstone? There's names, both of their names, their birth dates, right? Also, when they died, the death dates. What else would be on there? Anniversary, when they were married, and all of those things. And then what are on a lot of tombstones as well? There's usually a motto or a verse and how much can you really fit on a tombstone? Not very much, right? It's just a short phrase. And what is that short phrase supposed to do? It's supposed to sum up that entire person's life. And so when you boil it really down to it, it, it you, you can't really, in my mind, because I knew my grandpa, I lived with my grandpa, I loved my grandparents, you can't really just sum it up in one line, can you? But that's what we often have to do as far as the story of someone's life. I don't know personally right now what is on there or what verse. I've asked my mom. She said she's going to text me a picture this week. But I do remember several special things about my grandfather, the things that he taught me, what he meant to me, the spiritual lessons that he gave to me. And I remember the special time of we knew it was his last day on earth. You know, the doctors tell you that, that his time has come. And even though we couldn't fly out there to be with him, we have technology. And so I believe, no, we've, we did it a few times before, but this was one of the few times my grandfather actually video chatted. And we were able to talk to him the very morning that he passed away. And what a special time, special memories, that you're able to be with that person that you love, that is dear to you, and yet you know they're not going to be here on earth forever. And all those memories flood back of who they are and what, what they meant to you and and really their heart's desires, that you have all of those memories come flooding back. And if you remember in our study here in Second Peter, that's what we started with this series with 14 weeks ago. That, that these words right here are actually Peter's final words. These are words that were written near really the end of his life. And it really sums up Peter's heart desire. So I want us to bring us back to that thought if your life has to be summed up in just one phrase, what phrase is going to be on your tombstone? I know it's a little bit of a morbid thought, but I wanted to have it in this way. What is my life really about? What am I living for? What is my purpose? And as we come to the end of Second Peter, we're going to see what I believe, that if, if Peter had a tombstone, this is what he would have written on it. And it's actually the very last verse of this passage, what are really his very last words that we have recorded even though he, he would have died maybe a few years later. If you look then at verse 17 with me of Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to read these last two verses and see really what Peter was all about and what he's encouraging us to be all about. If you would, let's read together Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and verse 18, beginning now. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, Beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So as we've said, the, the theme of all of Second Peter, all three chapters, is this idea that he says here at the end, but grow in grace. And that's been the, the titles of this entire series, Growing in Grace. 
And as we come to the end, this is really just the simple, simple title of the message is just final, the final exhortation. Because that's what Peter is doing here. He's giving the final exhortation, really his last of his last words to believers, and they should weigh on our hearts heavy. In other words, they should have importance because of what he's built up to and what he said. So grow in grace, the final exhortation. We're going to look at three things as we walk through these two verses. The final exhortation, it really is divided into these three ideas that Peter is going to, to proclaim to us, to exhort us, and there's these three things. Remember correct teaching. And if you remember our teaching through the book, how often the word remembrance has come up. In other words, call to mind this correct teaching. Secondly, we're going to see again a warning. Watch out for wicked ways. Peter's going to give a final exhortation, a warning there in verse 17. And then thirdly, in verse 18, we're going to see press on towards Jesus. In other words, there's a driving desire that he's going to call all believers to, to live in their life together. So remember correct teaching, watch out for wicked ways, and press on towards Jesus. So we'll start out in verse 17, the first part. Remember correct teaching. Notice how he starts the verse again. It's actually a parallel to verse 14. If you look back to verse 14, where he says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, and then we come to verse 17, and he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things beforehand. So this is all part of the final exhortation. We looked at the verse 14 through 16 last week and saw pursuing the perfect life. In other words, the exhortation there was to pursue after Christ. And that's what he's reiterating here again in verse 17 where he says, Ye therefore, beloved. This is the fourth and final time that he says, beloved, yet again. And it's a sweet and comforting word where he's calling us together as family, those loved by God, those loved by one another, and saying, I love you, and this is what I want for you. Do you have family? Family that you love, you care about? Some family may not be doing maybe what you think is right or best at times. And that can bring us heartache and grief. We pray for our family in that way. But there may be other parts of our family who say, yes, they are following after God. And even here in the church, that's the idea here of a church family. And we're saying we're loving one another we want to follow after God together. And this is who he's addressing. And he starts with, ye therefore. What is ye? Well, in South Carolina, you'd say, y'all, right? He's looking at the group of believers, the group of churches, and saying, you. You all together. I have in my mind the picture of my middle child in the grocery store, which he absolutely loves. He loves riding in the cart. And he loves looking at all the different foods. And he loves pulling things off the shelf if you get too close. And he loves the excitement of the different things we, we buy there because we're going to eat it this week. And he can be all over the place. High energy, looking all around. Loud at times, like me. Whatever it may be. And there's certain times where, you know, as a parent, you have to focus your children. I mean, attempt to focus your children and what does that take? Well, often we want eye contact, right? We want, we want to look in the eye. And so it, it's, it's the gentle, usually, loving, sometimes just hand on the chin and saying, pulling towards and saying, just look at me. You, therefore, <laughs> look at me, pay attention. 
because there's a lot of important things going on. And it, and it may be something with a four-year-old as simply as, you're being a bit too loud right now and annoying everyone else around. So you, you need to be quiet, okay? So I exhort him in some small way to help him. Well, that's what Peter is doing here. It's a, it's a lovingly just taking our chin, I believe, and saying, look at me. I want you to know an important and sweet truth, and I want, make, I want to make sure and exhort you in the right ways. And he's saying, therefore. In other words, it's based on all that has come before. And what all has come before? Well, he's given us three whole chapters, really, of correct teaching and doctrine. And remember last week, we looked at verse 16 where Peter brings up another apostle. He brings up the apostle Paul. And what does he say about Paul? He says something that's very comforting to any preacher or any study of, of the scriptures, anyone who would look at the scriptures. And he said, some things of Paul are hard to understand. Have you ever been there? And Peter realized that, that, that some scripture is hard to understand. And what happens when stuff is hard to understand? Well, people will twist it to meet their own preconceived ideas or their own desires or their own notions. Or you could say it this way, people will become out of balance. They'll go too far extremes one way or the other. And we talked about a few of those. You know, you can go on the extreme of God's goodness or God's greatness and you, instead of realizing God is both. Or man's free will and God's sovereignty where you exclude one or the other. There needs to be balance there. Or law and grace. I can do whatever I want or I'm just legalistic. So there needs to be a balance in all of these things because the scripture teaches both. So Peter is saying it's hard to understand, but it's not impossible to understand. And there are those that would rest, he uses the word with a W, or twist is the idea, those scriptures out of context or take proof texts and say this supports my idea to the exclusion of other parts of scripture. He's saying I've given you correct teaching. And since I've given you the right teaching, there's a certain way, therefore, that you need to live. It's the idea also that you have known, he says, he goes on to say, seeing ye know these things before. That word before is the same word as that we get for, before ordained or knowing ahead of time. We find that other places in scriptures. And it's like this, God in his graciousness has revealed himself to us. God didn't have to do that, right? God could have created the world and said, I'm not going to give you any special revelation. And we would still know there's a God, but would we know much about him? We, I believe we'd still know his goodness and his greatness, but we wouldn't know the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so in his graciousness, he has given us his word so that we can know and God has told us things even ahead of time. Remember chapter, the, the first part of chapter three was all about Christ's return and how that affects our life even today. So Peter is saying, you know this stuff, you know this stuff even ahead of time. And the idea is you've been forewarned so you can be forearmed. In other words, you know what's happening ahead, so prepare for it now. Have any of you gone through a big natural disaster maybe hurricane, tornado, forest fire, whatever it may be. Some of those, you don't get much forewarning. But our area of Idaho is pretty good about it, right? No matter what the natural disaster or zombie apocalypse or political uprising may be, 
Some of you may even have large uh, containers full of freeze-dried food, right? And if you're smart, you have not just gold, but you have ammunition, which is worth more than gold right now, <laughs> stockpiled up. Because you know that there's trouble coming in the future, right? So you're going to be prepared. You have things like generators that hopefully work when you go to start them up. In other words, you know trouble may be coming, and so you, you get prepared, you get forewarned for or not. And that's that word here, seeing that you know all these things that I've already told you, be prepared, remember what I've taught you, because you need to put it into action. We started off by giving a brief overview, the very first message I preached 14 weeks ago, on the entirety of Second Peter and how it all led up to grow in grace. Here we are at the end now, and I want to quickly go back through what we've looked at. Because I think it's helpful to, for you to see how Peter is very logical, how he stitches his ideas together, and how he's giving us his final words so that we can live and remember correct teaching. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and he starts out this epistle simply saying, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, the rock, we looked at who Peter was. Remember the story of his life? Bombastic, right? Saying things out of turn at times. Doing crazy things that no one else would. I want to walk on the water. Saw the transfiguration. Highs and lows of Peter. And yet we see someone that Christ said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And then what did God do through Peter? Preached the day of Pentecost, saw thousands of souls saved, foundational member of Christ's church and helping build that church, all of that. And yet Peter sees himself as a servant and a sent one of Jesus Christ. And we saw even our divine status in that because Peter goes on to say, like precious faith there in verse 1. In other words, when it comes to our salvation, we have the same standing before God as the apostle Peter, the one who saw Christ. But if you know Christ as your Savior, you have the same salvation. And that's amazing, glorious truth. So we saw our divine status. Then we saw, going in to the next section of chapter 1, a portrait of Christ-likeness. Because he says we have everything we need for life and godliness, and then he goes in and shows us what Christ looks like. That if, if you're going to put on Christ, or since you have put on Christ, this is what your life should be growing in. Because verse 3, according as his divine power has given us to all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In other words, God's power through his word has given you and me everything we need for this life, for salvation, and to live a life that is pleasing to God. Praise the Lord. It's all right there. You have it. So we saw this portrait of Christ's likeness and how we need to add to, give all diligence. You add to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. And that's a portrait of what Christ looks like. And then he goes into the abundant and established life, verses 9 through 11 and going on, where he's saying, if you lack these things, you're blind. But if you have these things, you will never fall, the end of verse 10. So he says, remember, remember, remember these things. Verse 12, don't be negligent to put you in remembrance, even though you know these things. The end of verse 
13, stir you up by putting you in remembrance. The end of verse 15, always have these things in remembrance. He's saying we have to remind ourselves of the truths of God because we so easily forget. So he goes from who he is to who we are in Christ to what Christ looks like to reminding ourselves what Christ looks like. See the logical progression through this passage. But how do we know what Christ really looks like? How can we trust it? That's how he ends chapter 1 in saying we have a certain, a sure word of prophecy. In other words, we can trust the scriptures. It was given by eyewitnesses, apostles of, of Christ that saw Christ himself and are writing about it and saying, verse 19 of chapter 1, we have a more sure word of prophecy that you should take heed to Verse 20, knowing this, that no prophecy of the scripture is any private interpretation. It just didn't come out of man's mind or something that man made up. How did it come? Verse 21, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So all of chapter 1 is focusing on Christ and how we know that truth and our standing and what he looks like. And then chapter 2 shifts the focus to the negative side. He's saying, that may be your goal, that may be your desire in life, but there are those, remember this, there are those that would want to pull you away from that. So he spends all of chapter 2 on what topic? False teachers. People who are going to pull you away. And we looked at four ideas in chapter 2. We looked at the false teacher's influence. We looked at the false teacher's certain demise. We looked at the false teacher's character. And we looked at the false teachers are counterfeits. And what did we see through all of that? They might think they have great influence. They might scoff. They might teach wrong things, but you don't have to follow after it. Do you get any false teaching today? Let me put it in the common vernacular. Got any fake news recently? Get any false teaching? Oh, it's out there. Do a lot of people follow after it? Do a lot of people believe it? Yeah, I mean, you can amass a following pretty easily no matter what you believe. And if you want to believe something really crazy and far out there, don't worry, there's an online community for you too. It's out there if you want to follow it. So Peter reminds us that they may have influence, but don't follow after false teachers because their demise is certain. In other words, God's going to judge them. And actually, that should give us comfort because we often say, God, you're not good because of the bad things happening. And God reminds us that, yes, I am good, and I'm outside of time, so I have a record of everything that's going to happen. So you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. It's just not on your timetable. And we saw the false teacher's character, that it wasn't just what they taught, but really how they lived, their moral decay. In other words, when you follow a leader, a spiritual leader especially, you want someone that doesn't just teach well or teach right. What do you want? You want someone who knows and is following Christ. Not, not someone who's perfect, because you're going to have to find some new pastors, if you want that. But you want someone who loves Jesus and is following after Jesus. And then we saw really in the end that false teachers are counterfeits. They might, they might teach and preach things that sound really good, but in the end they're just counterfeits and they're going to be exposed as such. So what do you do with false teachers? Do you study all the false teachings? Well, you can, but remember how we ended that section, that if you want to know what a counterfeit is, what do you study? You study the real thing. You study the actual thing. 
And if you study the actual real thing, the, the truth of scripture, you're gonna know when counterfeits come up. So that was chapter two, false teachers. And then chapter three, we focused at Christ's return, his second coming. Those who scoff at his coming. And Peter says, don't be surprised that, by that. Jesus said he's gonna return, but people are gonna say, ah, nope, the world's just gonna keep on going on just like it ever has. And they scoff. Verse four of chapter three, they're saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Christ isn't coming back. But Peter says, no, you need to be ones who patiently wait for his coming. Why? Because that's what God is doing. He is long-suffering towards usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In other words, God has not come back yet because he wants more people to get saved. It's, it's really as basic as that. And so we are to effectively then prepare for his coming. There is prepare, pre preparation, effort to say Christ is coming back. That affects how I live right now. That affects how I live today. That affects how I think and what my pursuits are and my desires. Because my destiny is to be like Jesus Christ and to live with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So why not grow like that, pursue that right now? And then last week, we looked at pursuing that perfect life, looking to Christ. So that's, that's the summary then of this idea of growing in grace that Peter has been teaching in just these three short chapters. And he says, seeing then, back in verse 17, of chapter 3, seeing then ye know these things before, you know these things, God has revealed them to you, what do you do? Well, secondly, we'll look at the last half of verse 17 where he says, watch out for wicked ways. His final exhortation, he says, remember, and then he gives a warning, watch out. Look at the last half of verse 17, he says, beware, beware, lest ye also. What does the word beware mean? You've probably seen those signs, beware of the dog. And if it's at a friend's house and you know the dog, sometimes it's hilarious. I've gone door to door before. It says beware of the dog. And it's just a little, little thing, right? A little fluff ball that comes yapping out at you. And you're like, all I have to do is step on this thing. Like, <laughs> that's all I have to do. And then there could be other dogs, they could be ginormous, you know, great white fluffy ones that could be sweet, you know, sweet as can be. They're great family or, you know, friendly relational dogs. But what are they saying to beware of? It says beware of the dog. And why are you bewaring of the dog? Because if you aren't aware, the dog is going to bite you. The dog has sharp teeth. The dog can do some damage to you. So this idea of beware is be on guard to keep, and it has the idea of personally doing this. In other words, Peter's admonition to you, to me, is you personally, each one of us individually, has to be on guard and keeping and watching out even for our own heart and life. The person sitting next to you, do you know what's going through their head right now? Do you know what's going on in their heart right now? You may know some of the things, some of the trials, even your spouse, but do you know everything? No. Sometimes it's even hard to know our own hearts, right? Why, I'm, why am I so upset? Why am I flustered? I don't even know why I'm so mad. I don't know, I don't know why I'm so upset. 
the admonition here is you got to be on guard yourself. Sometimes we're really good at being on guard for others, right? Don't do stupid things, watching out for others, right? Setting the boundaries for everyone else. Peter's admonition is make it personal for yourself. Be on guard for yourself. By God's grace and by God's provision, look at your own heart. He says, so be on guard personally, and he uses these three words, lest ye also. And what is he talking about? Well, we'll see that there are those that are led away by the error of the wicked. He's saying, I'm warning you because I've seen others be led astray. And he's talking here to believers. He's not talking that they've lost salvation. We've already talked about that earlier. Make your calling and election sure. In other words, you can know for sure that you are God's child. You can know that, and you should be assured of that. And since God saves, he's not going to take it away. So you're not gonna, he's not talking about losing your salvation here. What he's talking about is those that should know the truth, they have been taught the truth, and yet they're not following the truth. And if we're honest, we're all a little bit like that sometimes, right? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, it's God's grace, it's his goodness that has shown me the right way. But he's saying, be careful because others have been damaged. They've been deceived. Their lives here have been even destroyed in some ways. There's not a final destruction for them, but they've been damaged. By what? He says, being led away with the error of the wicked. What does led away mean? It has the idea of being carried away. And it has the picture of, of an avalanche. That there's this great force that you're getting caught up in. How do you avoid being in an avalanche? It's really simple. Live in Kansas. <laughs> I know of no avalanches that have happened in Kansas. <laughs> But there you have tornadoes, so you have to be on that side. But it has that picture of an avalanche. There's, there's many stories you could go to. April 1st, 2011, April's Fool's Day. Renowned adventure photographer Jimmy Chin was shooting snowboarders with a camera, mind you, in the Teton Range in Wyoming. And it was that perfect condition. There was, though, a hard crust on top of the snow, and he knew that there was the danger of an avalanche. And he's out there hiking, skiing, all of those things to get these good shots. The mountain gave way. The crust fell and he fell in. And, and what was it like? Well, in his words, it's a little bit like a cold washing machine. You're being tumbled and turned over. And he says that even though it was a class four avalanche, meaning you don't really come out of those, it sucks you down into it, he was actually able to survive. Many don't. But what do you do in that situation? Well, you run and you pray, because that's about all you can do, right? <laughs> Peter's saying, don't get swept away in the avalanche of all the false teachers and all of those that would lead you astray. It says, with what? Notice, though, it's with the error of the wicked. In other words, what is your location? You're right next to the error. You're right next to those who are going the wrong way. It reminds me of Psalm 1. If you're sitting or standing or walking with the fool, the scorner, the scoffer, you're with them, right? 
You're going to be led by them. So the idea here is don't be with them in their error. And the error here is straying or wandering or departing from God's path. In other words, God has a certain path and he's made that path clear of what you are to believe and do and follow after in your life. And yet we can get with others who are going the wrong way or straying slightly from the path. And Peter's saying that is an error. The opposite of that would actually be correction. That word in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for. One of those words is correction. And the correction is getting those that are in error that are slightly, they're off the path, it's getting them back on the right path. It's correcting us. So don't depart from God's path because that's where the wicked are trying to lead you. And the wicked here, the error of the wicked, are those that are simply lawless and morally corrupt. What does that mean? It means that they're not remembering God's word. They're not following after God's word, which is what Peter has just challenged us in the first part of the verse. It's those who are going after their own desires, their own thoughts, their own wishes. Life is about what I want. And he's saying, don't be led astray. Don't be swept up or carried away in that. And what's the result? Well, the end of verse 17 is you can fall from your own steadfastness. What does it mean to fall from steadfastness? Well, what does it mean to be steadfast? What do you want to build your life on? What do you want your foundation to be? These houses out here are built on dirt, right? No, they're, they're very careful to scrape away some of the dirt, pack it down, and put down, hopefully, good quality concrete, cement there. Because you want a firm and a solid foundation. And that's what makes you steadfast or stable in your life. And so to fall really just means to lose part or to lose interest or to get off course. So this isn't so much about losing your salvation to me, it's, it's summed up in one word, distracted, distracted. Are there ever distractions in your life that pull you away from your focus on Christ? To me, I think that's probably one of my greatest struggles. Are there, there are so many things in life that I can be so easily distracted by that I just lose sight of Jesus. I can be distracted by the news that's going on around me. I can be distracted by all the social media of all the, what all the cool people are doing, all the, the pictures they're posting. I can be distracted just by the, the projects, the things I have to get done, right? It's ministry. I have to get it done. But yet it takes our focus away from the right path, the path that points towards Christ. So he's saying don't get distracted. Uh, Roundup Sunday, we had uh, one of those pillow fights on a stick kind of set up. And what was that? It was two buckets upside down that an individual would stand upon. And then they had a long cardboard tube. And at the end, there was a pillow duct taped on it. And what was the point of that game? It was to knock the other person off of their not so steadfast five gallon bucket. But that's all the steadfastness they had. And what's the best strategy in that? I mean, you can fight back and forth. You can, you can wrestle over those poles for a while. The best, best thing is to get someone else that isn't on a bucket to distract that other person, right? Get their eyes off of what they're supposed to be focused on, their opponent. They get just a little bit off balance, and what happens? Over goes the bucket, and down goes the person. So what are you going to hold steadfastly to? 
Politics ain't going to do it. News isn't going to do it. Sometimes we just hold steadfastly to our own preferences and say, this is the way we've done things, this is what we're going to do. The correct answer here is, it has to be Jesus. Hold steadfastly to him. And to the Jesus, not of your own imagination, but the Jesus that God has revealed in his word. So what's Peter's final exhortation here? Remember correct teaching. Watch out for wicked ways. They're going to distract you. And finally, press on then towards Jesus. Notice verse, six, or verse 18, where he says, in contrast to all the, the people that are trying to pull you away, but, and has that same idea again of drawing you in, but you, but you grow in, and then he gives two things, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What does it mean to grow? It means to increase, to add to. It's continuous. It's keeping on. In fact, you could actually translate this. Be growing is the idea. You, but you be growing in grace. It's a present continual thing. So let me ask you this question. How do you make a person like a young child grow? Do you do it? Can you make someone just grow? Or what about your garden, your tomato plants? Do you make the plant grow? This is something God does, right? Even in the physical world. You see a spiritual reality. There's, there's a right environment, right? You have to give your children food. You have to give your plant water. But who is really growing it? It's God that is growing it. So Peter is saying you have to avail yourself of what God is wanting to do in your heart and your life. To grow in grace. What is grace? We've looked at this word before. It's a sweet word. It's God's favor. I think of it this way. It's God's strength. It's his power in your life. It's God changing you to be like Christ. Just as we look back in chapter 1, that portrait of Christ's likeness. To grow in grace is really to be availing yourself of what God wants to do in your life as a believer to make you look more like Jesus. So that's making, your, making sure that you know who he is. We find about that in his word. That means you're building your relationship with God. And that's why he goes on to say, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This word knowledge is a relational word. Often we think of the word knowledge as something purely academic. That, that you open up your mind, we'll dump some knowledge in there and we'll close it up. That's not this word at all. This word is very relational. It's, it's, it's your relationship with another object or person that it's getting at. That there's you, the believer, and then there's the object of the knowledge, which is Jesus Christ. And to gain in your knowledge, your experience, it takes time and it takes a relationship and it takes constantly pursuing him. So, how many of you know how to fly a plane? I know there's several here. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing hands around. And, and I know that you know how to fly, fly a plane because some of you, that's your job. How do you, how do you learn how to fly a plane? There's two thing, three things you need. Money, money, and someone with a plane, right? 
No, they say you need time, you need money, and you need someone to train you, right? You would not want me to fly you anywhere in a plane if I'm at the controls. And why is that? Because my relationship with planes is not something that is deeply rooted in good experience. I've been in a small Cessna before, and the guy has let me take the controls for a, a little bit, and then he quickly said, you're two tenths, let go, it's my turn. But he didn't let me land the plane, he didn't let me uh, take off with the plane, he didn't let me really touch anything else, and the whole time his hand was still on the controls as well. Because he knew what he was doing. And why did he know what he's doing? Because of his relationship with that plane. And what did that relationship take? It took time, it took experience, it took effort that he put into learning how to fly that plane. So when it comes to our knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the object is the person of Jesus Christ and then putting in the time and the effort to build that relationship. You can watch YouTube videos on how to fly a plane, right? But you wouldn't want your pilot just to watch YouTube videos and then get in that cockpit and fly you, right? You would want them to have at least a minimum number of hours, and that, that's the law, that's the requirement. They have to have a minimum number of hours before they can even fly people around. The idea here is you just don't read the Bible, you're actually pursuing Christ and a relationship with him. And, and where is this focus? But grow in grace and in the knowledge, and then Peter uses this phrase, of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. He uses these four words that we're very familiar with, but are very good for us to remind ourselves of. What does it mean to be Lord? He's the master. He's the owner. He's the one that has bought us from the slave market of sin set us free from the, the chains of sin to be really his slave, his servant. So if he's master, this is something we grow in as believers. If he's master, that means I'm going to follow him and do what he says. It comes down to this word, obedience. Do you obey the master? He's a good and gracious master. Doesn't mean he never asks us to do hard things. But we need to grow in this idea of God being our Lord, of Christ being our Lord. Then he goes on to say Savior. Savior simply means deliverer and preserver. Someone who has delivered us from so much. Pastor Jeff will say it often, what would I be without Jesus? What would my life be like without Jesus? It's a pretty horrible thought. Some of you know what life is like without Jesus. Not a good thought. But he has saved us, he has rescued us, even from our own stupidity at times, but definitely the consequences of sin, and also preserves us, is saving us from so many different things. And then the word Jesus, the title of Jesus, simply means Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves, or salvation comes from God. It, it ties back Jesus right back to being the Son of God. Showing both his divinity and his humanity. Fully God, fully man. And then Christ, the anointed one, the one chosen by God, really the, the king. The one that God has chosen to be the perfect prophet, priest, and king. So what are we growing in? What are we pursuing going towards? It's the grace, the knowledge 
of a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Press on towards Jesus. And he ends with this, closes out the book with this idea. To him, that is Jesus, be glory both now and forever. In other words, why should we grow in the grace of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, because he deserves all the glory now and he's going to get all the glory forever. Goes back to the idea of our destiny as believers. Might as well live like it now. What does it mean to give glory? It's really to ascribe to someone their full worth, their full recognition. Can you ever ascribe to God all of his full worth of who he really is? No, he's infinite, he's great. And that's why it's going to be an eternal thing that we get to do in the new heaven and the new earth. Because God is never, we're never, we'll never be done praising him. How do we give glory, though, even as humans? Well, if, if you watch YouTube, you often know the request for glory. How does every YouTube in, video end? It says, please like, comment, and subscribe. Gives you those three things. And why does it do that? Because those people are trying to build a following. And if you like, comment, and subscribe, the YouTube algorithm, whatever that is, will promote their video and they'll get more views and more views means more money and more people following me and watching me. And so to give glory to them, you're ascribing to them, okay, they're, they're worth a subscription or a like or a comment or, or a retweet or whatever it may be. And that's just a simple illustration of even how we as mere humans are seeking after glory and wanting that in our lives. And yet God is saying, I'm the one who is truly deserving of all glory now and forever. To him be, and it, there's really a definite article here, to him be the glory, the glory, not just glory, but the glory now and forever. In other words, currently in your life, are you giving God glory by growing in grace and knowledge? Because it's going to happen. That's the forever part. And he closes with one word then, amen. Be, simply meaning in truth, in certainty. All of what I've written to you in these three chapters, truth, certainty, that you should and can as a believer base your life upon. So it comes back to this question. What's going to be on your tombstone? There's many that people have written. These are ones that you know, could be a setter of anyone. I lived a good life, now I'll have a good rest. Or live life to the fullest, for life is all too short. We'd say all of these are truisms, but they're not getting at the eternal reality of things. Or if I could do it all again, I wouldn't change a thing. In other words, I've lived my life, no regrets. And that, that could be taken in a proud or a humble way. Or the greatest gift in life is love. It's all reminiscing of the past. But what is Peter doing here? He's pointing us towards the future. And on his tombstone, he says, grow, pursue after Christ, because he's going to get all the glory forever. So the question really comes to, with his final exhortation, what's going to be written on our tombstone? In other words, what is our life really all about? And those are a heavy question, but yet a good question for us to consider because Peter, in his final words, says simply, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.